Go Time. Welcome, everyone. I missed you. Well, we have returned from our hiatus. Yeah. From our brief sabbatical. Yeah. Away from podcast. Sorry about that, everyone. I know you missed us, too. It's okay, Carly. <laughs> okay. That's the That's the audience. That's the audience telling me this? Yeah, they said it's okay, Carly. Mm. We love you. Aw, that's so sweet of you. Uh, yeah, well, I'm Carly. I'm Harry. And this is Known Unknowns. You know that. This is episode 75. Yeah, you should know that by mm-hmm. now. If you're listening to episode 75, I'm sure you've been with us for a while. If you're just <laughs> tuning in, welcome. If you hear this, this is my cup of tea. <laughs> Very good. And if you if you if you're real nice and real good, maybe Carly'll spill some of it for you. <laughs> that was good. That was a good one. Anyway. Um, um so anything new? Well, my birthday was last was a week ago, I think. Yes. So that was we, we, okay. Mhm. All right. <laughs> good. What's new? Um did you know that if you listened to one one episode of this podcast every once a year for 75 years if you would listen to every episode of the podcast damn i've screwed that up i meant to say if you listened to one podcast one episode of this podcast every year it would take you 75 years not including bonus episodes oh yeah not including those you gotta uh, skip those. pretend that skip i said those. it the right way the first time okay because i'm not gonna edit that out yeah i know okay uh, anything new? Um, what's new? Uh, uh, we have a new favorite show. Oh yeah, called My Cat from Hell. Yeah, it's a good with show. Jackson Galaxy, <laughs> who's my new favorite person. That's and a good. You should all watch his YouTube channel. You should all watch his show. Seasons two and three are on Pluto TV, and it's free. You just get on your computer, or your phone or whatever and go to pluto tv and then you can watch my cat from hell he trains cats he's a cat whisperer mm-hmm. he, he works with evil kitties that are all good boys <laughs> they're all good it's it's, a, it's, all, it's they're all mainly good kitties. they're all really bad owners and i feel terrible for these cats <laughs> As, uh, pretty much what i have learned is that your cat always play and, with your cat and, yeah it just wants you to play with it play with your cat <laughs> <laughs> they just that, that, that is the problem all the time. All, every, every time. They're like, you need to have a play like you need to play with them every night. Mm-hmm. Wow. Structured play. Structured Wear play. Wear them out. Yeah. So they don't and attack you. And then they're nice. Who'd have mm-hmm. thunk it? I know. <laughs> but it's a, it's a good show. It's a good show. I highly recommend it. I'm gonna watch it after this, probably. <laughs> they will um, be like, why does my why why does my cat hate me so much? He's he he's peeing everywhere and we he he's like it scratches me all the time and it'll be like they just lock him in a room for 12 hours a day and he hasn't been to the vet in like ever, ever. and he has yeah. one litter box uh, for like a three-story home. He has like one litter box in the basement in a corner. <laughs> and I'm like, "Hmm. I wonder what's wrong." And then, and then it's just like play with it, and then it's all better. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> so it's mainly just getting to see a bunch of cute kitties. Yeah. We're gonna get a cat. Have we told the podcast this yet? 
I don't know. We're going to get a cat in like three, four months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when our roommates move out. We're mm-hmm. already, well, we already know what we want to buy, like for the for the cat. We're not like shopping for a cat. We're just going to go to a shelter and get a cat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm allergic to cats, but I'm going to deal with it because they're cute. <laughs> a lot of people do it. But yeah, yeah. we're going to get a cat. Yeah, I'm we will. excited about it. Mm-hmm. That's why I started watching Jackson Galaxy yeah. stuff because I wanted to learn how to take care of cats. And I've learned, play with your cat. <laughs> they don't just want you to leave them alone all day, every day. They're going to get mad. <laughs> Make sure you have some toys for them. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have some kind of furniture for them. Make sure you have something they can scratch on. It all seems pretty, I'm like, yeah, okay. (laughs) All the stuff he suggests, I'm like, yeah, that was the plan. (laughs) But, you know, some people don't know that. Yeah. Um, uh, I start my new job in a week. Harry got a new job. I don't think you told them that. Yeah. And you're not going to learn anything about it because it's actually like a grown-up job and we don't want to ruin that for him. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. We We can't let them find out about this. No. No way. I know. Uh, well, they'll just hear you shit-talking your old job. Exactly. Harry's very excited for his new job. <laughs> so, and that's all we're going to talk about it. Because mm-hmm. we don't want to ruin If If his boss ends up hearing the, the, pod, the podcast, he won't hear anything bad about <laughs> their company. Well, I can't imagine ever having anything negative to say about it so i I don't even know why we're why we're mentioning it just because you got out of hell (laughs) that is our my current job and his old job anyway (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) no it's okay okay Uh, should we just start yeah. I don't have I mean, anything else to say. Nothing else to talk about this week. No. Yeah, I don't have anything. There was, cool. was a snow a, a snow lose week. A, a, a slow news week, as far as I'm aware. It is supposed to snow tomorrow. Is it really? Yeah. Man, that... It sucks. Yeah, that's, that's something. Yeah. Okay. Right, sorry. Ready? Yes. So all this information comes from allthatsinteresting.com. Uh, that's mainly where I'm getting all of this from. Mm-hmm. And Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of... So I'm going to start my topic now if you okay. didn't know. Have you ever heard of Gregor McGregor? The name sounds kind of familiar. Isn't that But that an might just be because name? I saw it over your shoulder while you were researching it. Yeah, it probably. General it Gregor good, McGregor. That's a good name. Gregor McGregor? It's good. General Gregor McGregor. I think he's a general. Grenroll Grangle. Yeah, okay. So, Gregor McGregor. Gregor. Gregor McGregor. I can't even say it. The Scottish con artist who convinced Britain he was the prince of a non-existent colony. That's the name of this All That's Interesting article. And it's by Jeffrey Wang, because I'm stealing his work. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm reading his wonderfully written work. That's what I'll say. Okay. (laughs) So... In 1821, so this is old. This is an old con man story. Good. So I'm into it. Yeah. I heard of this one on my own. I didn't even listen to a different podcast about it. All right, great. Okay. 
Gregor McGregor made a fortune off European elites by selling them shares of his fake utopia, then got off scot-free. Doesn't this sound amazing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As Europe raced to conquer vast tracts of undiscovered lands in the Americas... Undiscovered by Europeans. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Jeffrey Wang. (laughs) Come on. A Scottish con man named Gregor McGregor hatched a plan to capitalize on the lucrative colonization game. Okay. So, you know, this is an interesting story. It's interesting. He conned a bunch of people. It's great. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think, but you know, he did, I mean, everyone was taking over people's land right? at this point. Okay. And I mean, he didn't, ri- he kind of did. Okay. But he just made rich people, oh, we'll get it Yeah, get it, it. Tell, tell, tell okay. me the story first. So the early schemes then of we'll Gregor problematize. McGregor. Yeah. Um. Sorry, I shouldn't touch anything. No. Born you, and like, raised in a. Cut, cup down before. Yeah, good. Born and raised in a wealthy Scottish family, Gregor McGregor did not seem to like the type. Oh, did not seem like the type to become a con man. At the age of 16, McGregor joined the British Army after his family purchased him a commission. He was briefly deployed in the. Well, how do you say this? Uh, Napoleonic yes, Wars. I knew it. Okay. Uh, he was briefly deployed in the, in the Napoleonic Wars, during which time the Scottish elitist bought himself the rank of colonel for about $1,000. He also met and married Maria Bowater, who was an influential British family. Uh, this all goes pretty quickly, this whole story. I'm not adding in a bunch of, like, details. Okay. It's like a three-page, three-and-a-half-page story, so it's not like there's not information in here, but I'm not going into, like, nitty-gritty details. So if you have anything to add, just let me know, because some of it's going to be... Yeah, I'm not getting into details like I do in some of my ten-page stories. Okay. So there was just so much. <laughs> um, But it's still fascinating. I thought this was interesting enough. Okay. Okay. Um, in 1810, however, McGregor was disgraced from the British army following a dispute and his wife died. (laughs) And she died. Okay. Rough year for him. Yeah. Now finding himself in financial straits without her family, without her family's patronage, McGregor attempted to establish himself as an aristocrat in London by falsely referring to himself as Scottish royalty Mm. and adopting the title of Sir. When the British elite largely ignored him, McGregor opted instead to explore the New World. (laughs) Okay. Thus, in 1812, he sold his Scottish estate, sailed to Venezuela, and there Sir Gregor was warmly received by General Francisco de Miranda, one of the country's revolutionaries and colleague of famed Venezuelan political revolutionary Simon Bolivar. Simon Bolivar. Is that how you say that? Uh, I think so. Yeah, there's the accent on that. Oh, Simon right. Bolivar. Yeah. Uh, McGregor enjoyed several years of successful military service under Bolivar, who was leading wars of independence across the Americas as natives struggled to beat back imperial- imperializing Spaniards. Mm-hmm. After okay. victories, what? Well, at this point, he's fighting uh, against the colonizers. Yeah. Okay. 
After victories and multiple confrontations, from daring defense plans to several lucky escapes, Sir Gregor won sizable acclaim for his courage and leadership. I love how we're still referring to him as Sir. He's not <laughs> well, a Sir. He I, just wanted to go by Sir. Well, they, they thought he was a Sir. As an integral part of Bolivar's secession movement from the Spanish Empire, McGregor rose all the way to general of division in the army of Venezuela. He even married Josefa Lavera, Bolivar's cousin. Mm-hmm. And yet, amid this period of success, a 25-year-old McGregor saw an even better chance for fame and fortune. I can't believe he's only 25. <laughs> oh, man. He already got kicked out of the army once, and then his wife died. <laughs> he's yeah. 25. And now he's in a different army with a different wife. And now he's a sir. And he's a sir and a, a general. self-proclaimed sir. <laughs> he's, a, he's a Scottish royal. Yeah. In 1820, McGregor stumbled upon a desolate, pest-ridden piece of land on the inhospitable coast of Nicaragua. All right. The territory was controlled by the Mosquito people, a tribe descended from indigenous Native Americans and shipwrecked African slaves. Uh Uh, So it was inhabitable in the standards of these people wanting to move in. Like, these... Obviously, the native, the Native Americans, the Mosquito people, and um, the, the people who lived there were living, kind of. <laughs> right. It wasn't a great piece of land, but, though. Yeah. They weren't living great. Not the kind of place. Not your first, uh, you know, not the first place you co- you'd colonize. No, not at all. Not all right. anywhere that anyone would want to steal. Um, right. Yeah. The inhabitants seeing no real use for the land that McGregor was interested in, Oh yeah, he oh, so does this nor he does the he like okay, so the inhabitants seeing no real use for the land that McGregor was interested in, uh seeded a swath of it the size of whales in exchange for rum and jewelry. So the okay. people who lived there were like, You can have this piece of you can have this huge piece of land if you give us this rum and jewelry, if you give us money in rum. Mm-hmm. So I mean, uh, I mean, according to all accounts, he did this like he it was in agreement with the people who lived there. Right. I mean, and it sounds like they may not have on the the land that they actually gave him didn't they they might have just like controlled not actually. I don't think used they were actually used it. No, 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 no. Because but, of the territory, the whole territory. So they gave him a piece of it, uh-huh. but I don't think that anyone lived on that piece of it. Right. Um, so it was the size of whales. McGregor promptly dubbed the land, I'm going to say Poyas. Okay. It's P-O-Y-A-I-S. All right. Poyas. I don't know. What would you say? I don't know. I'm going to say Poyas. All right. Which he claimed was a utopia. Mm. The natives were not only friendly, McGregor asserted, but also loved the British. <laughs> the soil was not just fertile, but it was also complemented by year-round temperate conditions, beautiful natural landscapes, and vast herds on countrywide prairies. <laughs> the country was not only settled, he gushed, but it already had a capital city with domes and co- colonnades mm-hmm. of state buildings. Governance was great, McGregor claimed, with mechanisms like a trice—what is this word? Uh, tricameral parliament. Tricameral parliament, banking systems, and land titles all in place already. <laughs> Flat out lies. <laughs> yeah. This is inhabitable land. Th- that's... <laughs> the piece that he has is like 
<laughs> a piece of trash. <laughs> trash land. Well, yeah, but he's... And he's saying These that there's already like These people literally gave him a piece of land that they were like, we can't use this. <laughs> Please give us rum uh-huh. and jewelry and for saying, this. <laughs> and like, he's telling everyone he found this beautiful utopia. That like and the, the natives love love the British. And they, they want, love them. They want them they to want come you colonize. To come over here. <laughs> and they already have a banking system. And, and like a government. And a government set up for you. Yeah. Utopia. Um... Oh, gosh. McGregor worked hard to make his story credible. He manufactured huge amounts of official-looking documents <laughs> and a rapidly put and rapidly pushed the message of Poyes into the printed word. He even fabricated a 355-page guidebook of the fake colony called, <laughs> called Sketch of the Mosquito Shore by a fictitious explorer named Captain Thomas Strangeways. <laughs> this okay. guy is a legend. I love and, him. And no one saw through that name. Captain Thomas Strangeways. <laughs> All right. Of Poyes, the Utopia. I, I guess. I guess not. The manual was filled with detailed information, information, drawings, and engravings, and was printed and sold in the thousands across London and Edinburgh. <laughs> Poyace was incorporated into maps and books furnished tales and books furnished tales of the mythical country. (laughs) Uh, It's not a real place. All right. (laughs) Not real. (laughs) McGregor had also picked an opportune moment in European history to pull his scheme. In the early 1800s, inaccurate cartography and constantly changing South American borders were rampant. So who was to say that Poyes didn't exist? Yeah, right. Yeah, because they were all, all the like people were yeah publishing. I'm sure tons of books with made up stories about like all the good colonies over there, mm-hmm. trying to get you to move to their place, and all the map makers. They don't want to be wrong. Mm-hmm. So this is great. Mm-hmm. He's a legend. Okay, <laughs> with the support of pl- pl- I can't speak publicity, McGregor opened offices in London and Edinburgh to sell land in Poyes at two shillings per acre, and demand immediately went and demand for this utopia immediately went through the roof. <laughs> As people lined up to invest in the new land, McGregor raised the price to four shillings per acre and then six. <laughs> Alongside land, McGregor even organized the listing of a, po- a, p- a Poyasian loan on the London Stock Exchange and sold fake currency from the Bank of Poyas to everyday citizens. <laughs> The money was printed by the Bank of Scotland's official press. Wow. <laughs> he even told hopeful settlers that they could exchange their pounds sterling uh, for Poyes dollars. <laughs> yeah, sure you can. Sure, why not? <laughs> Next, McGregor embarked on his ultimate and final deception. He organized and charted two voyages of settlers to Poyes. So he actually took people there. <laughs> in September and October of 1822, over 200, probably closer to 250, hopeful settlers set sail on two ships to nowhere. 
<laughs> the travelers, of course, were rather bemused when they arrived at the purported location of Poise. <laughs> they found nothing but uninhabited swampland and virgin forest. The new immigrants, so sold on the story, believed that they had simply made a sailing error and began unloading their supplies. Poies, in their minds, was nearby. They decided simply to dock and venture inland to find it. Oh, no. They did not think they were scammed. <laughs> Alas, there was nothing there. While the settlers had ample supplies and provisions, their inopportune arrival in the middle of the country's rainy season quickly caused a surge in malaria and yellow fever. By the time help came from another British settlement 500 miles north, nearly two-thirds of the settlers had died. The remaining 50 or so made their way back to England. Oh, no. So they all died there. Wow. When the survivors finally arrived home in 1823, McGregor had already fled to Paris. Yeah, he did. Where he was running a similar scam. <laughs> this time, he managed to raise almost $400,000. In 1825, Gregor McGregor was finally arrested and charged with fraud. His trial was held in France and was hampered by diplomatic confusion. It took over a year for it to even get going. The Scotsman, pulling off one final master stroke, managed to redirect blame on his associates and was acquitted of all charges. <laughs> In the 1830s, after the hubbub surrounding Poyas had died down, McGregor attempted a few more, largely unsuccessful, security schemes. But after his wife died in 1838, he returned to Venezuela and settled in, how do you say this? Caracas. Uh, Caracas. Yeah. Where he reconnected with his former military comrades. Uh -huh. With their help, McGregor was reinstated to his former army position, and he even received back pay and a pension. <laughs> after he was confirmed as a Venezuelan citizen, he lived comfortably in the capital and was buried with full military honors when he died in 1845. <laughs> this guy. Good. Good for him. Yeah. Despite his serial cheating at the expense of the money and lives of others, Gregor McGregor's reputation at at least while he lived, never quite faltered. Today, he is known as the con man behind one of the most profitable lies ever, which he ex expertly orchestrated to perfection for decades. <laughs> I just love that he got away with it. Yeah, good for him. Good for him. <laughs> I don't that see is... anything wrong with this story. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, he was a, a real opportunist, for sure. You know the guy who tried to sell the Eiffel Tower twice? I think I think I've heard of that. That's where he got all of his tips from. This guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't think so, but I'm sure it sounds very similar to that story. He tries yeah. to sell the Eiffel Tower to some chump, mm -hmm. and then they're like, "Yeah, I'll take it." <laughs> someone tells you they got a they got a colony to sell you. Well, if someone's telling you there's a utopia over there, <laughs> I'm not asking questions. Yeah, they don't have internet. They just have to trust people. Mm -hmm. Come back and say, yeah, this is great land. Mm -hmm. I just really like that. I know. Very good. Very good. Very good. <sighs> okay. Okay. That's my story. It's really short, That's but I right. liked it. We'll do, we'll do mine now. Yeah. What are you talking about this week? Carly. What? I'm, I'm going to talk Very... about um, the Illuminati. 
Whoa. What do you know about the Illuminati? Uh, I was really into the Illuminati in high school, if you can't tell. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you can tell by how I act today that I watched (laughs) Illuminati videos with my friends in um, yearbook class. Instead of doing my work, we watched Illuminati conspiracy theory videos. Ah, so like... You know, like Beyonce making a triangle with her hands and... and uh, Oh, everyone. And Mark, uh, you know, all the Mark Zuckerbergs and Bezoses and uh, Martha Stewart's. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone. They're, they're all part of the big cabal that controls everything. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a cool idea. Mm-hmm. All right, now, tell me about it. What 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 oh. would you say if I told you that the Illuminati was real? I'd believe it. Well, it was real at one time, hundreds of years ago. Wait, really? Um, the conspiracy theories we know today take the name from a secret society called the Bavarian Illuminati. Oh, so this is like completely different, but so the I mean. Same. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, kinda. I like this. Okay, mm-hmm. I want to know. Well, I mean, I never I, knew that. And I, I mean, I'm going to talk about how like we got from Bavarian Illuminati to the Illuminati that we have today. As yeah, well. I want to know. So, toward toward the end of the Enlightenment, um, hey, you know, about I took a class on the Enlightenment. <laughs> yeah, so what, what's what was the Enlightenment about, Carly? Uh, okay, I forgot. No. <laughs> <laughs> A time of uh, new thoughts, new science, new um, people were discovering, yeah, like scientific yeah. things. And some people were like, yes, this makes sense. Yes, science. Yes, like logic. Yes, this. And then other people were still stuck in that that doesn't match up with religion. That doesn't mm-hmm. work with this. You're being too blah. And then the enlightened people, the people who are like, but look at all this new research. They were like the bad guys. But yeah. now we look on them as like the good guys who wrote a bunch of really really important stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh so at so we're, we're nearing the uh, near, nearing the last few decades of the age of enlightenment. Um or, and that the, at the University of Ingolstadt in Bavaria, which is part of present-day Germany. Um there's a guy called Adam Weishaupt. Uh, hmm. the the university in Ingolstadt is run by the Jesuits. Um uh, you know, the Catholic order of guys. And yeah. uh, when he became a professor in 1773 there, he was the only non-clerical professor there. The only one who's not like a, huh. in part of the clergy. Um, also in 1773. I know what clerical means. I know you know. Okay. I Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I know nah, people he know. thinks I'm dumb. I don't think you're dumb. I was just making sure everyone knew what I meant. Also in 1773... The Jesuit order was dissolved by order of Pope Clement XIV. Um, the Jesuits, however, um, they, they still stuck around and they remained in control of the university's finances and re- still regarded it as their own, even though technically they weren't supposed to be a thing anymore. Hmm. But they were still were. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, they, you know, they would discredit and frustrate all like non-clerical staff there and, you know, they would get particularly testy uh, when course materials were perceived as too liberal or Protestant or, uh, you know, too, too, yeah. a little too enlightened. I feel like all the Enlightenment guys were like Protestant and that was a big deal. 
Sure. Yeah. I don't think they um, were Catholic. <laughs> um, uh, and so Weishaupt, uh, he he was big into the, all the Enlightenment ideas of like you know, religion should you know not meddle in public life, and we should you know uh, do do science and logic and mm-hmm. reason. Um, and so he resented the Jesuits for attempting to censor his teaching, and he became deeply anti-clerical. Um, What's this guy's name? Uh, uh, Johann Adam Weishaupt. Um, I don't know if I ever read anything from him. I don't, did he write I anything that was big? Did uh, not that I know. I mean, he probably did. Uh, I don't recognize his name, and I think I would have if we read him. Yeah, I don't. Oh no, this is a different guy. But I don't think he was a particularly. Yeah. I don't think figure. I don't. I don't think he was a particularly important figure in yeah. the Enlightenment era. So he 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 didn't like the Jesuits and all their Fair. stuff. So he resolved to spread the ideals of the Enlightenment through a secret society of like-minded individuals. Oh, I kind of like this. So first, he thought about going to the main secret society that everyone knows, the Freemasons. Oh. Yeah. Um, but he found them to be too expensive, and they were not receptive to his ideas. So he said, oh, never mind. Him. Go make your own. <laughs> uh, so he formed his own with a system of ranks and grades inspired by those of the Freemasons. Um, and on May 1st, 1776, he and four students formed the Covenant of Perfectibility. <laughs> um, I should email... Uh, I should email my old Enlightenment professor and be like, do you know this story? Yeah. This is amazing. You should teach this. Mm-hmm. I bet she does, but maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't yeah. know about it because this is, this is really cool. I would have really liked learning about okay. this guy. Um, th- that name, the Covenant of Perfectibility, didn't last long as he felt that it sounded too strange. It was. Uh, he considered the B order as well. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, he considered I don't know it. Why? <laughs> um, and um, but finally, in 1778, they, he landed on Orden, or the Order of Illuminati. <gasps> Ooh, yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by the end of the summer of 1778, the order numbered 27, um, with three grades: novice, Minerval, and illuminated Minerval, because um, they their symbol was the Owl of Minerva. Um, Minerva was like a symbol in Roman mythology of like wisdom and stuff, or the and the owl was like her her friend. Okay. So the owl of Minerva is their thing. That's why it's the Minerval grade. At the Minerval mm-hmm. grade, members would go through a complicated ceremony in which they would be given secret signs and passwords. <laughs> Um, Christians of good character were actively sought for recruitment, with Jews, pagans, women, monks, and members of other secret societies specifically excluded. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't like this. Well, I mean, yeah, I know. I Well, sure, it's not good. Um, nope. <laughs> uh, nope. Favored candidates in the early days were rich, docile, willing to learn, and between the ages 18 to 30. He was mostly recruiting, like, university students. Yeah. Um, Hmm. Okay. (laughs) In 1777, uh, Weishaupt joined the Freemasons again after he had formed his own secret society, hoping to learn more of their secrets in order to use in his own rituals. He he ran out of ideas. (laughs) So he was trying to take stuff from the Freemasons. That's amazing. But this didn't work out as he was unable to attain any 
and you know a high enough grade to get to any of the real good stuff that they got um you know so he, he couldn't yeah. get into the higher levels there but instead someone in the in the illuminati um had the idea that they just kind of glom on to freemasonry and so they and they like started their own they got like a, a warrant or whatever to start their own lodge within freemasonry um and then they would get all the illuminati into that and they would kind of grow it within freemasonry and uh, their goal was eventually to kind of either become independent or just kind of take over freemasonry mm-hmm. um so in 1780, a young Freemason named Adolf Nigg uh, was recruited into the, I think that's how you say it, K-N-I-G-G-E. Okay. Was recruited into the Illuminati. Uh, uh, he was given the task of recruiting other Freemasons into their The Illuminati. Brand, into the Illuminati, right. Okay. Which um, he, he was really good at um, for a while. Um, but eventually, though... Enrolling new members became more difficult as potential recruits asked pertis- persistent questions about the higher levels of the order. Uh, Nig himself was curious too, as all Weishaupt was able to tell him was that he served the, uh, quote, most serene superiors. <laughs> um, uh, in January 1781, Weishaupt finally had to confess to Nig um, that, you know, uh, how he, he, you know, how he said that this is all like you know this is just a small part of like a gigantic ancient organization guarding tons of secret knowledge and all that that's what he tried to sell this as yeah <laughs> uh, he just had to tell him i i just i just made that up it's it's just, just it's just me <laughs> it's just, just me and some students and I've, I've i've just been doing this for five years and I haven't even written the higher levels, the higher grades yet. <laughs> I don't even oh know. Oh my gosh, she didn't even know what they were I don't were even know yet. what's above me at this That's yet. That's so funny. <laughs> um, oh my God. But instead of being mad about it, Adolf was like, oh, uh, that's, oh wow, that's crazy. Uh, I guess, well, I, I guess I'll stay around then, but only only if you let me help write those like higher, that the lore and the higher levels mm. and stuff. Um, and so he, like it. he, he did, he did that. Um, and the Illuminati continued to like gradually grow and build more influence within the Freemasons as a sort of semi-independent sect. Yeah. Um, and at its peak, the Bavarian Illuminati had somewhere between 650 and 2,500 members across the German nations. Hmm. Um, they're growing. <laughs> they, they, they were, they did. Uh, despite the fact that they weren't meant to be a, that that they were meant to be a highly secret society, um, loose talk and boasts of power and criticisms of the monarchy led to the secret society becoming common knowledge, as well as the identities of several powerful members. Yeah. Um, and the the Bavarian public weren't really comfortable with you know there being multiple members of the. Illuminati and civic and state governing bodies and the courts and all that. Um, uh, like, you know, and despite their small size, um, they, you know, they had a lot of, a lot of people in high places in the Bavarian government. But, um, Mm. uh, Charles Theodore, the Duke of Bavaria became alarmed by their wide reach and he and his government banned all secret societies in Bavaria on March 2nd, 1785. Mm. Uh, Weishaupt fled and the Illuminati's Nadi's documents and internal 
uh, correspondence and stuff were all seized and made public, and everyone just it, you know dissolved and fell apart. <laughs> and they put in it. They put an end to that because it was no longer oh. at all secret. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, well, there's there's why a little bit more. People like the Freemasons. Then they're weird. Yeah, but well, they they were more established at that point. So they, I I I mean, the Illuminati had basically taken over most of the like Bavarian like Freemason Do you think there's any of lodges. I mean, there are people who claim that their their club is descended from the Illuminati, but. Yeah, who knows? Hmm. Um, the, there's no real evidence of that. But again, this is supposed to be secret. But yeah, anyway, exactly. Yeah, but you know, the, the Freemasons like existed in other other places outside of Bavaria, so they could survive that. That and they were they were a lot more entrenched. Okay. But the Illuminati were just like an upstart thing with you know way fewer people and way less power and influence. Yeah, so they they were just kind of wiped out at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway. How 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 did the Illuminati <laughs> come to have such a presence in the uh, <gasps> present day conspiracy theories? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Well, I'll tell you. Thank you, because I'm curious. All right. So, in the 1960s, um, or in late 50s, uh, but there there are two libertarian hothead 1960s. Okay. There are a couple of. California weed heads (laughs) uh, named Carrie Thornley and Greg Hill. Um, And and so one day they were going bowling and they got to talking about philosophy and the universe and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, they've invented a new religion. Um, Oh, yeah. uh, As one tends to do. I know how that goes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they, they call it discordianism. Discordianism. Yeah, and so in 1963, they wrote a book on uh, for the, the like founding document of Discordianism uh-huh. called uh, Principia Discordia, or How the West Was Lost. You can't just make a religion. Why I mean, not? you can, but yeah. like, why would I trust People you? People do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, but did like someone speak to you, or did you just make it up with your friend? <laughs> well, I mean. The, uh, I'm not going to. Okay, let's okay. not get into this. Anyway, the, the, they wrote <laughs> it under the names Malaclipse the Younger was Greg Hill and Omar Khayyam Ravenhurst was uh, Carrie Thornley. Uh, later editions of the book were titled Principia Discordia or How I Found Goddess and What I Did to Her When I Found Her, wherein is explained absolutely everything worth knowing about absolutely anything, the magnum opiate of Malaclipse the Younger. Uh, that's okay. what the... From the, I think, second or third edition on. Mm-hmm. In it, uh, they outline the principles and beliefs of Discordianism. Um, uh, it encourages the worship of the Greek goddess Eris, um, the goddess of disorder and chaos. Um, there, are, there are three core principles of Discordianism. Okay. Uh, the aneristic, which is order, aristic, which is disorder, and the notion that both are merely man-made illusions. Um, whereas all other religions view the universe as you know being kept in a state of like purposeful order, everything has a reason yeah. and stuff, um, and with a all powerful deity keeping things on the right track. Mm-hmm. Discordians view the ultimate reality of the universe as total chaos and randomness. Fair. Mm-hmm. I respect this. Uh, let's see. Uh, according to the Principia Discordia, every single man, woman, and child on this earth is deemed a pope. 
um, and then included in <laughs> I'm the a pope. Prin- yeah, you are a pope, and included in the Principia Discordia as an official pope card that may be reproduced and distributed freely, freely to anyone and everyone. Just uh, flash your pope card. I'm a pope. Um, yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of a parody religion, but kind of also yeah, a more funny. earnest. It's you know it's a more earnest parody religion than like the the flying spaghetti monster people and stuff who are just trolling. Yeah, I like this one. Whereas this, the, there is like a, you know, it's the, there is like a base worldview kind of. There. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you so know. So it's not really a, it's like it's a, kind of a, re, it's not really a religion, yeah. but they're going to say they're a religion yeah, exactly. as the pa- for the parody part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Principia Discordia became a cult hit with the hippies of the late 60s. And cult disc- hit. That's funny because they're, okay, continue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Discordianism gained a large semi-ironic following. Um, starting in 1965, a friend of Thornley's, uh, Robert Anton Wilson, uh, started working as an associate editor at editor at Playboy magazine. An editor. Whoa. Um, so a, a large portion of his job, uh, along with fellow Discordian Robert Shea, uh, was editing the Playboy Forum and like like reading. Um, which largely entailed going through correspondence from the general public. Um, and a large part of that job was uh, reading people's letters of like political rants and just paranoid uh, ravings about various conspiracy theories and stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the 1960s saw an explosion in American interest in conspiracy theories. Um, oh, you know, cause there yeah. are, there are all the like big assassinations, Martin Luther King Jr., John F. Kennedy, Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, yeah, Bobby Kennedy, sense. Malcolm X. And it makes sense. It was the birth of the conspiracy yeah. theory. Cause there was a lot of sketchy shit going yeah, you got on in the, the 60s. Cuban missile crisis, the Bay of pigs, mm. uh, just general cold war paranoia, the space race. Um, and just, you know, the massive Honestly, social upheaval. Sense. It yeah. makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. Um, but Carrie Thornley hated conspiracy theories. Uh, he thought they were dumb and they made people dumb. And no. that, you know, th- he saw people trying to find order and patterns oh. in, like, a, a chaotic universe where there, there is no order. Stop trying to... So he doesn't think that any, like, nothing is really planned. It's all just chaos. Right. Yeah, it's okay. the, the opposite of everything Discordianism stands for. Yeah, conspiracy theories are the opposite of it. Because <laughs> conspiracy theories are just people trying to make sense of crazy events that mm-hmm. happen. And Discordianism, find... you just accept the chaos. You just accept the chaos. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I um, could never do that, but okay. <laughs> right. So he, he and Wilson devised a scheme, um, later given the name Operation Mindfuck. Nuh-uh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they wanted to draw attention to the absurdity that they perceived in conspiracy theories. Oh no! That people are doing. Oh no! Um, and so they they planned to combine all the crackpot conspiracy theories they had heard into one, into uh, all into one, and attribute all the national calamities and assassinations to one group, um, <gasps> the most obscure and inconsequential <laughs> secret society anyone had never heard of, the Bavarian Illuminati. <laughs> I love this. This is so good. Um, so because like, now it's all making sense. Yeah. 
so so Wilson like uh you know made up letters to run in the Playboy uh you know letters uh, forum and stuff an advisor um they bought classified ads alluding to mysterious conspiracies in uh, the libertarian journal Innovator and New Left newspaper Roger Spark oh my God. um and it became you know an important it spread to other discordians around and it became an important practice of the faith to you know plant stories about the Illuminati in the underground press and stuff and like <laughs> they they've made a conspiracy to uh, make de- debunk conspiracy yeah. to make fun of. I mean I guess there's their religion thing again. So they could come out and be like, "Yeah, we made that all up. You're all <laughs> dumb cuz you right. believed." Or it. I mean they they is didn't that what's think happen? They didn't think anyone would believe it. They thought this is so ridiculous. No one's going to no one yeah, is going was, to think about that. That was like, uh, <laughs> mistake number like 7, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's, yeah. That's a bad ever people are going to believe that. People still believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, <laughs> I can't exactly. believe it's become such a big thing. Okay, keep yeah, going. No, I mean, fascinating. That's, I mean, that's basically where I was. That's where I was going. The fake conspiracy, like, only fanned the flames of paranoia, as you know, conspiracy theorists adopted the Illuminati into the existing theories and stuff, and it all. The mocking conspiracy theories fed into the sincere ones and further confused what was real and what was fake. Um, and then to make matters more confusing, Operation Mindfuck was beginning only a few years before, you know, a spate of actual conspiracies were about to be revealed. Um, like Watergate happened, oh, and then MKUltra came yeah. out, oh. uh, the Tuskegee Institute uh, untreated syphilis uh, experiments were reported on. And then, you know, in the 80s, Iran-Contra happened. Um, and so the real conspiracy theories and the fake conspiracy theories then got mixed up with actual conspiracies that were happening. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> and just sowing more paranoia and confusion and chaos, basically. Yeah, exactly what they wanted. And so the idea of the Illuminati as like an all-powerful group pulling the strings just be- behind the scenes just became entrenched in the culture. And it just kind of... Be became like another. Uh, it just kind of got stuck. That's wild <laughs> because got stuck there in. are people who believe this, and I feel like most people don't know how, where it comes from at all. Mm-hmm. They just hear that there's a secret organization of a bunch of really powerful people, and then you're like, "Yeah, that that tracks. Uh-huh. That makes sense." So then you believe it. Yeah, they, right. they picked something that was way too <laughs> realistic, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, no I'm way. sure they were saying a lot of crazy things at the time and now it's boiled down to oh, right. now, a bunch of high the Illuminati's uh, a meme. people well yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah no for sure i just thought it was an, an interesting series of events i also i didn't know how to fit this in um so that's the end of the story but um so uh what god what was his name um uh, carrie thornley okay Sorry, what were you going to ask about? No, I was going to try to figure out the name. Oh, yeah, no. Kerry uh, Thornley, one of the founders of Discordianism, he served in the military um, with uh, Lee Harvey Oswald in 1958 and stuff. And so, and he, he was also working on a novel about his uh, stuff, about the military and stuff at the time. And he, like, you know, based the main character on Lee Harvey Oswald. Or I think you might have named it. I might have just like basically used Lee Harvey Oswald as the main character in this novel. Oh my gosh! Um, and so he he's the only 
the he wrote uh, the Idol Warriors, the only book uh, written about Lee Harvey Oswald before the Kennedy assassination. And so, because that happened, he got wrapped up in a a different a conspiracy theory around him, where yeah. um, Jim Garrison, who was the New Orleans District Attorney, he was convinced that there was a big conspiracy about the JFK um, assassination, and so he. Uh, subpoenaed Thornley to appear before a grand jury and qu- question him about his relationship with Oswald because he was convinced that he was in on the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> and <laughs> oh my gosh, Oswald. And so I, I, and so later, later in Carrie Thornley's life, he became, uh, you know, the the his whole, whole experience uh, with being uh, investigated. Uh, with this made him very very paranoid and conspiratorial minded um in his later years oh that's funny yeah i know huh i mean not funny funny, but like like, it's interesting it is fascinating really some real serendipitous stuff yeah that's crazy that was a good story you should have gone first (laughs) that would have hooked them in (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I'll talk, we can find, I mean, there's plenty of other stuff to talk about the Illuminati on another time. About, um, you know, the they all know what the Illuminati is in general, I'm yeah. sure. I know. They're the ones doing the chemtrails. They're behind yeah. every conspiracy we've They're talked about. behind every conspiracy, exactly. <laughs> so, it's just kind of, uh, this, this could have been the last episode of the podcast. Just wrap it all up in a nice bow. Oh. Is this when we tell them? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Well, that's all I have this week. All right. I, we need episode. to get this episode out. So yeah, we're a day late and yeah. a dollar short. Yeah. So, so let's just get it out to the people. Okay. Cool. Um, Happy Monday, everyone. <laughs> you're you're welcome. What? I said happy Monday, everyone. And yeah, you said you're welcome. I didn't know what to say. Okay. I was trying to get my phone out, but I don't think I have any reason to. You're welcome. Uh, I've been Harry. I'm still Carly. And this has been... Known Unknowns. Um, Honey, I blocked the Suez Canal. Because it's weird out there. Bye. Bye.